Michelle Cheresnik. Today we continue with the Dream Series from Genesis chapter 37. And here is Pastor Michelle. Hi, welcome back. This is Michelle. I feel so privileged that you would come back and give us another listen, so thank you. Last week I shared a little about the Use Me project its origins and its conception and today I just want to dig in just a little bit more deeply and share on a little bit more personal of a level. I also want to revisit this story of Joseph Um, so I'm going to be doing some paraphrasing and some reading. This is such a familiar story I think you'll be able to follow along and you'll be able to tell where it's my words and it's the words of scripture. I also shared with you last week that the Lord spoke to me during a Bible study and he gave me this idea for the Use Me Project. The Bible study that I referenced was called The Story by Randy Frazee. And one of those key concepts that was so meaningful to me is Randy shares that there is this upper story and a lower story. And the lower story is us here what we're doing it, how we're doing it, how we're messing it up. And the upper story is God, the Father, orchestrating the mess and the sin of the world into something beautiful and something purposeful that accomplishes His will and brings Him glory. If you look at your life right now, you may be pretty satisfied with it, You may not be satisfied with it, but I think we can all agree on one thing. We've not made the most of it. Lots of things have happened in our lives. Loss, sin, abuse. Some of us have had some pretty horrible things done to us. And some of us have done some pretty horrible things. Last week, I talked to you about Joseph and his dreams. Joseph had quite a few horrible things done to him. I'm going to read a little bit uh, from my Bible directly tonight. So I'm going to give you a quick recap here, a one-sentence recap. Joseph is the son of Jacob, who is sometimes called Israel. And he was the most beloved of Jacob's sons. And I'm going to start reading from Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. 
and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Well, I don't know about you, but I have struggled in my lifetime with sibling rivalry, and I've been jealous of my siblings, but not to the extreme, I don't think, of Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers are their shepherds, and they go out and they're shepherding the family sheep, and sometimes it takes them a day or two away. And Jacob tells Joseph to go out and to find his brothers, make sure they're okay, well, me and my flesh, if my brothers hated me as much as these brothers hated Joseph, I would not be running about for days looking for them to see if they were safe. Well, maybe unless I wanted them to see me in my fancy new coat. But that's another story. So, we're in verse 18 now. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Just throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his, his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of this robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Well, if you don't know, a cistern is a pit. It is a deep man-made, probably bell-shaped pit with a narrow neck that was dug specifically for the purpose of collecting water. Well, this particular one was empty. There was no water in it. So they threw him in there, put the lid on it, and sat down to eat lunch. They had such little regard for Joseph that they ate lunch, right? Who does that? Dump your brother in a pit and go have a sandwich. Well, they looked up and they saw this caravan coming from Gilead and their camels were loaded down with spices and balm and myrrh and they were on their way to take him to Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. What a great guy. And his brothers agreed. So when the merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver or 20 pieces of silver. And they took him to Egypt. 
So Reuben came back to this cistern and he saw that Joseph was not in there. And he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't in there. Where can I turn now? And they got Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. And they took it back to their father and said, we found this, is this your son's? Well, of course, Jacob recognizes it and he says, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces and he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and he mourns his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, Joseph is sold in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So we need to talk about this coat for a minute because a lot of this just might be because of this coat, this special coat that Jacob gave to Joseph. This coat was given to Joseph because he was Jacob's favorite. Jacob was married to Leah and he was married to Rachel, but he loved Rachel more than Leah. Rachel was unable to conceive and Leah gave him sons. So Rachel decided to give him her handmaidens so that children could be conceived sort of as a surrogate type of situation. Joseph's older brothers were born to Leah and the handmaidens. Only Joseph was born to Rachel. So for this reason, Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. But there's more. The coat, this ornamented robe, it symbolizes something. It not only showed that he was favored, it also showed that he would assume family leadership. And his brothers knew that, so they must have been hurt and mad that their father, right in front of their faces, announces that the younger brother, the baby of the family, the only one born to Rachel, would assume all leadership. He rubbed their noses in it. He declared it to the world when he put that robe on his son. Joseph is my favorite and he will be the leader of the family. So when you start piecing this together, it makes a little more sense. Not that I'm justifying the actions of the brothers, but some of us have siblings, half siblings, step siblings, and you know what that's like. You know the feeling of being the cast out, the castaway. Whether it's done intentionally or not, it's a thing, it's a real thing. Think of all the blended families that we have. Those of us who are the product of blended families and how hard it was trying to find our place in a new family and always feeling like we didn't quite belong. Losing your place, getting lost, especially when new siblings come along. Anger, resentment, acting out. Some of us have done it. Some of us have kids who are doing it. 
And I wonder, I just, I just wonder if Simeon, Levi, Zebulun, Ishakar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Judah, and Reuben, if they had plans, if they had dreams, before all these awkward family dynamics come into play, if pain and jealousy and obvious favoritism wouldn't have become the norm in their family, would they have had the attitudes they had? Would they made the decisions they did? Would they still have felt the same way they did about Joseph if their father would have poured out to all of them? If their father would have loved them all equally? And I can say that because the Bible said Jacob loved Joseph more. And some of us have read that and said, oh, that's so sweet how much he loves Joseph. And we ignore the fact that the rest of these children, all these children born, were raised as less than. And I'm not justifying their bullying, and I'm not justifying their heinous behavior. I may be just saying, Jacob, you are not innocent in all of this. I'm going to share a little bit of my personal story here because I think it's relevant. I think it was about 15 when I found out that my dad was not my dad. My mom had been married before and was divorced when she was pregnant with me. And my older brother and I were both conceived during this marriage. It was not a happy marriage and it was not a healthy marriage. It was not a safe marriage. And my mother absolutely did the right thing and left him. But this, however, was a secret until I was about 14 or 15, somewhere right around there. And my parents must have been wrestling with how to tell us because they asked for help from someone they trusted a great deal, the pastor of our church. Now remember how I mentioned church hurt in the last episode? Yeah, yeah, I know about church hurt. One night at a Wednesday night youth group, the secret got out. And my world came tumbling down. And I remember going home from church and my older brother so angry and so upset. And I, I was just confused. And I remember my mother coming to me and saying, I have to tell you something. And I said, well, I already knew. My older brother's adopted almost smugly and even though it was right in front of me I didn't want to see or believe the truth that I was not my dad's daughter and my mom said no not just your brother you too and my world came crashing down and there were scales that just fell off my eyes and so much of my life started making sense, but so much of my life became complete confusion. And I do not blame my mom and dad for keeping this from me. 
because honestly, I don't know when the right time is or if there is a right time. As hurt and as confused as I was, I know now it needed to be in their time. But oh, I felt less then. I felt less than my siblings that were born between my mother and my dad. I felt as if in some way I had caused this breakup between my mom and my biological dad. And I felt guilty and alone and, and I buried every bit of it, every single bit of it, because I had to. We weren't going to talk about it. We just put it away. And so it festered. And I felt like I didn't belong. Any dream that I had, any dream about who or what I was going to become was hidden behind this thick veil of it doesn't matter because I don't belong. And I thought I was alone. And I remember a conversation that I had with my sister when I was in my 40s about my biological dad. And she was trying to very delicately and gently tell me that she thought um, it was disrespectful to our dad, that I would want him in my life. And I remember thinking that we are in our 40s and we can't deal with our dad situations. What in the world are we doing to our children? Why do we have these ideas that our kids need to be these stiff-necked little soldiers, buck up and deal with the mistakes that we made in our lives? And I know I did that to my own kids when their father and I divorced. I handled that so poorly. But Satan's plans to destroy the family started long before he tried to destroy mine. He has been tearing them apart since the very beginning of time. But what I love about the story of Joseph and what I love about my own story and what I hope you will start to love about your story is all of these things that happen to us do not diminish our purpose. What we see, the divorce and the damaged relationships, abuse, neglect, addiction, whatever you have going on in your life, when you get past it, when you start receiving healing for it, God is going to use that, just like he does in the story of Joseph. You have to let go of it. And I did, begrudgingly, I'll admit, but I did. And it took years and years to be okay. And there are days I still want it back. Because hurt, although so painful, it is familiar and it's mine. But when you begin to let go of what you see as wasted, and useless and purposeless. How you can see what was done to you has meaning. If you can, you're ready to heal from it. If you're bold enough to share with others how you used it to get out of the pit, 
if you're still in the pit, you need to know God hasn't left you in there alone. God will take useless and purposeless to useful and purposeful. And he is the only one who can do that. When I surrendered my life to Christ, he put a new dream in my heart. One that couldn't be taken away by anyone because it was his dream for me. It was his dream that I would teach and share and preach and sing and he would use me. He would use me to help others out of their pits. Well, what about you? What special circumstances has God delivered you from? Yes, yes, I call them special because they will be used to bring Him glory and they will be used to bring healing and hope to others. I used to be hesitant to share my stories and you'll hear more of them as we get to know each other better. And before I started going public with my testimony, I talked to my mother, um, not really to get her permission, but to give her a heads up. Um, and she gave me some advice that every time I feel a little ashamed or a little timid about sharing my testimony, I remember these words and I put it into practice. And she said, Michelle, if all people can do is talk crap about you, let them talk. And she was right. And although she says it much more colorfully than I just did, for those of you who know my mom, you will know what I mean. But she is so right. If all people can do is bring up your past, let them. Let them. It opens the door to say, yes, yes, I did that. And if what I did offends you, I am so sorry, but I am forgiven and I am no longer in bondage to my sin. When I decided I was done being broken and I opened my eyes, I was not surprised to see he was there. He was there when I denied his existence. He was there when I messed up stuff. He was there. He was always there. And if I look back, I couldn't have got out of the messes I made without him. He was there. He's always been there. He doesn't need to show up because he's never left. But how is God going to use you when you decide to be done with your brokenness? When you ask God, Use me. Thank you for tuning in to the Use Me Project. We would love to connect with you. For more information, you can log on to our website at theusemeproject.com, which has links to all of our social media platforms. Join us next time for more encouragement from the Use Me Project. Music